Living with multiple dogs, fun and challenging, is it not? This is Learning About Dogs, a podcast for people who love learning about dogs. I'm Sue McGuire, manager of a canine behavior program at a shelter north of San Francisco. And with me, of course, is Kay Lawrence of Learning About Dogs. How many dogs is too many? Should you ever have a mother-daughter combination? What about breed mixes? Which ones are complementary, and which ones can be a bit of a nightmare when trying to live together? This is all about multiple dogs. I've always had multiple dogs. I never seem to, I mean, one time I had no dogs and that was horrible. Um, but I've always seemed to have at least two, often three dogs. And living with multiple dogs, you, you often have quite a few dogs. You used to breed dogs. Um, ideal number? Yeah. You have an ideal number? Well, we we don't, or should we say in my lifetime, I've not ever had a restriction on how many dogs I could have. I mean, I started with one and six months later, I got another one to keep him company. Um, simply because if you're working and you leave a dog alone, it's it's not easy on the dog. So I went back and got another one from the same breed. I had Cavaliers to start with. Um, and probably if I can say ideal is three, if you're a trainer, because you always want to train one on their own and then the other one's left isolated and that can cause issues on itself. So if the other one's left with another dog, the isolation is not quite so bad. Um, and I have to split mine. I've got uh, five at the moment, so three of them are over 12. So they go for a separate walk to the youngsters. And to be honest, I don't think the old ones like the youngsters barging through them when they go in out the doorway. So we tend to have, no, let the youngsters go out first. Right, now the oldest can go first. So there's always some degree of management to stop life becoming hell for one of them when you're not really paying attention to them. In terms of group dynamics, um, have you ever found any groupings that that didn't work that well? I mean, I always used to get a lot of grief because I always seemed to have female dogs. Oh, you should never have all female dogs. Really? I thought Every really time had somebody comes with... up with these rules. So I've had two lots of litter siblings. One I bought in, not intentionally. I wanted the boy, but the girl came along as well. Yeah, yeah. she stayed for 13 years. <laughs> and they played. They were very good company. They played together very well. And that was a dog and bitch. And then I had a dog and bitch, Gordon, that I kept. And I kept two Gordon brothers. The two Gordon brothers... Mm, all right-ish but one was a git which is why I had to keep him because he was quite obnoxious from four weeks old <laughs> um, and I thought well I really can't pass him on to somebody else but I really liked the other boy he was everything I wanted so the only combinations I've ever had an issue with was a mother-daughter combination but I've had mm, several yeah. mother-daughter combinations with no issues and I've had father-son combinations with absolutely no issues you know so I don't think there's a um, a hard and fast rule you know the same as not everybody likes their siblings or their parents some people are very close yeah. to a parent and some people are not so I, I think it's more down to personalities rather than whether they're related or not yeah how I mean, do I, you, you know, um, um yeah go ahead no i know some people that would happily live you know a friend of mine and her mother share exactly the same hobbies they go and do all their shows together. I can't think of anything worse than doing that with my mother. And I probably think my mother would want to do that with me. <laughs> you know, so it's it's not so much that they are mother and daughter. It was that they're, the combination of their personalities together was not going to work. Yeah, yeah. And um, you have to watch so... other... 
things you have to Go watch. Ahead, like so, for instance, the collies like to use other breeds as faux sheep, which for other breeds can be a bit of a miserable life if you let that collie behaviour take over. Um, so my first collie used the Cavaliers as sheep, which wasn't very good for them. And now the collies would use the Gordons for sheep, so I'd often have to ask the collies to walk in just to be able to let the other breed go and have a decent run. Otherwise, they'd all end up standing in a heap in front of me. <laughs> I'd have my dogs gathered. So yeah. I think you can have certain breeds that may make life miserable if they live together, and other breeds that living together is a blessing rather than a, a nuisance. Oh, nice. Uh, I can I can attest to that. I'm sure Hank Williams is very tired of being mistaken for a little tan sheep from my, my border collie, for sure. But does he, uh, so does I, he respond to it, or does he just go, yeah, whatever, and walk through it? No, he does respond to it. He freezes in yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. or and he she comes needs up to. to me and says, yeah, would you take care of her, please? And so, you know, I, I recognize that early on, and I actually have to put my border collie away when I'm playing games that involve chasing toys, et cetera, with my little guy. Uh, it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can... Yeah. Unfortunately, the collies, the, you know, once they start that behavior, it's just going to get more and more pleasurable. Mm, it's going to really yes. grow exponentially as to how much pleasure it gives them. But they're going to, you can put them into another mode. So often the collies, if they're in fetch and play mode, they won't work sheepdog at the same time. Not all of them, but if you've got a strong fetch and play, they can't do fetch and play and be a sheepdog. Yeah. Although I have had a sheepdog that would go around the field with a ball in his mouth, being a sheepdog. <laughs> yeah. So again, not these hard and fast rules. You can just say generally. Yeah, exactly. You know, but it depends on your skill level as to whether you can, you know, see that this is going to become an issue and we need to stop it now. I remember doing um, a talk to a college group of um, students that were mostly um, agriculture and animal based. And the topic I was asked to do was what would I wish I had known at their age, 18, 19 year olds um, that I, I know now. And I think the one of the biggest things is to be able to see the difference between a behavior that the dog is going to grow out of as a puppy and a behavior that the puppy dogs that is just going to simply get stronger and stronger to the point where you can't manage it. So something like car chasing in a, collie herding type puppy oh no 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 this has to be prevented the minute you see it starting to this could be fun oh look oh god um that's not going to disappear but possibly seeking affection you know by sitting on your head when they're about five months old that's probably going to fade away you know once they get more yeah. grown up yeah. they're not going to want to do that so being able to tell the difference between a juvenile behavior that will naturally fade as the dog develops and a juvenile behavior that is a juvenile version of an adult behavior that is simply going to get stronger and stronger. You know, yeah, so seeing we talk the, about experience. Yeah. Well, the Gordon really set of puppies as a litter, and we had a litter of 12. I mean, they'd all stand in a row pointing the chickens when they were six weeks old. Chickens are behind a fence, mind you. And you're going to go, well, that ain't disappearing. <laughs> But it does in a way because the Gordons don't work chickens. So as they mature, chickens, yeah, whatever. You know, they start pointing other things out in the field. Yeah. So the if they didn't have the field to grow up into being proper working dogs, 
they might just stay at pointing chickens. So certain of those juvenile behaviours don't get a chance to mature, the same as um, the sheepdogs will end up working other dogs. But if they start to work sheep, they would stop working the other dogs because they've got the sheep to work instead. Hmm. Well, that brings in the topic of uh, how to bring in another dog and, and what should be some considerations. You know, we don't want to make broad swipes, but on sometimes we do need to make a little bit of broad swipe about breed a bit. Uh, yeah, your, your current yeah. resident dogs. Not necessarily sex, but age, maybe. I think you also have to think that the resident dog has a right to go, really, no, no, not this one. Yes, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Um, I mean, you've got to do this in a shelter situation where presumably the resident dog gets to give the new incoming dog a once-over before it's committed. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, you know, and I, I think if, if they're just going to go, no, get this dog out of my space, I can't live with it. It's not something, oh, we'll train it, oh, we'll get it used to it. <sighs> I, I don't know that that's really the avenue to go, unless it's unavoidable. Um, I can't think I've ever bought in a dog that the others didn't want. But there again, a lot depends on how much space you have, you know. So if you've got plenty of space, you know, the same as too many people in a house, if you've ever done house sharing, you can share a large house with a few people, be fine. But share a small house with a lot of people, especially when they're not family and they're coming and going all hours of the day. That can be hell. Absolute nightmare trying to live in those conditions. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So a lot depends on the actual physical space. So if dogs have got enough space to get out of each other's hair, they could probably live with a dog that's not going to be their best buddy, but we'll just, we'll just pass. Okay, that's fine. But if you actually force them to share the same space 24 hours around the clock, I can imagine it become very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And this is where you yeah, need the well, skill let's... of being able to recognize a dog could be depressed. You know, oh. they can get depressed. No two ways about that. Oh, yes, I see that, unfortunately. So, so let's talk about living conditions. I mean, you need to have space. You need to have the right environment if you're going to have multiple dogs. This is not yeah, an apartment yeah. dwelling adventure. Unless you have the capacity to get outside a lot. Um, yeah, and you know, and often the people keeping multiple dogs keep multiple small dogs, which people think are easier to manage. But the the dynamic of a dog has nothing to do with its physical size. You yes. know, so a small dog may want sixteen by twenty four meter room to be feel comfortable and yet a big dog doesn't so the size of the dog is not relative to how close or how confined it should be you know um, certain breeds of dogs are so social that they're almost distressed when they're not together like groups and packs of hounds my cavaliers always slept in a heap you know the plastic round beds that we have they would all yeah. get in one of those beds four of them size of a collie this bed now if the collie was there they'd just get in on top of the collie and the collie would be out like a shock because he hated being slept on <laughs> gordon setter the cavaliers could sleep on him he was like a hot water bed you know i mean goodness me they'd pile on him with a cat <laughs> so some breeds would pack yes pile together comfortably and probably get more distressed when they're not with their group and other breeds, yep, I can I can sleep by myself and be nearby. I do not need to be physically touched when I'm asleep. 
I'm, yes. I'm one of those. Yes, I'm one of those. Yeah. <laughs> so sitting on airplanes. I have. <laughs> May the seat next to me always be empty because I'll have an aisle. Thank you very much. I'll never sit next to the window. Or uh, lack of window. Ooh. Uh, no, never. Mm. Uh, so, okay. So we have multiple dogs. And what are some things that these dogs should learn as a group, do you think? Versus individual well, training. Yeah, I mean, anything you're going to they're going to do as a group will be magnified because the group is doing it. So if you've got visitors coming to the house and one of them gets aroused and you've got three dogs, three of them are going to be not three times as aroused, nine times as aroused. You know, so they get they multiply each other's behaviors quite quickly. Um, and if that is, you know, defense at the door that will multiply quite quickly as well or as you know to redirect onto the other dog so anything where the dogs are going to do it as a group needs considerable management to stop the emotional behavior of the group overwhelming the behavior of the individuals and, and people would call that the riot effect you know because we, we know situations where people perfectly normal well-behaved people get them in a group and they're like goodness me i would oof, i never expect to behave like that so there's that sense of having to respond as a group is part of probably the connection of the group so a group that's mm -hmm. strongly connected will defend as a group yes will attack as a group will chase as a group um but certain behaviours, even so, would not transfer to another. So one of my collies is absolutely besotted with, um, not in a good way, of hot air balloons. <gasps> if she sees one of those coming over, we get the most ferocious call for the rest of the group to defend the entire estate from this, you know, fire-breathing dragon. And all the other dogs are like, get out of it, whatever, not bothered at all. Even her own puppies are like, yeah, yeah, no, no, whatever doesn't bother us it can do what it likes but heaven help us if we hear delivery vans coming and she sounds off everybody's there at the gate to help her out in that effect um, she does nothing else except sound them off and wait for everybody else to, to get them out <laughs> you know so dogs have different roles she's the alarm and she expects everybody else to do the doing <laughs> i'm just waiting for her to go deaf because she's 13 now she's coming up 14 <laughs> oh soon she'll be deaf so, oh, just you know, if you're going to take the dogs for a walk as a group, you need to make sure that you can manage them as a group in those conditions. And managing a group takes more management than managing the single. So oh. if you are going to have multiple dogs, you must invest time in that protocol. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Which does require a bit of time teaching separately. You know, Teaching the, the, individuals, well, then, certainly. Yeah. Um, but then they also need to learn what they need to do when they're a group. So I have a um, group come away from the gate. It's not an individual thing, and I've never trained them individually to come away from the gate. But mm -hmm. it means there's free kitchen on the kitchen floor. If you want it, first come, first served. And that's sort of practiced frequently so that I'm using the group dynamics, their desire to compete against each other to get there first. And the outcome is they come away from the gate. Or... Uh -huh not being left out you know this fear of missing out is strong in a group of dogs you know if they're it's separate rooms and they hear one dog doing something in the other room oh they've got to go and check it out what am i missing out on 
you know, somebody's licking out a bowl in the other room, I assure you every dog will wake up from wherever it is and come and check it out. So exactly. we can use that like, little bit, that fear of missing out as a motivator to respond to what the rest of the pack are doing. And you can certainly do that with the litter. You know, the, the individuals in a litter don't like to be the last one. And some of them do like to be the first one. So, um, so say that the puppies are going out for an outing into the garden. There's usually one brave one that goes, yeah, 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 cool. We'll go and have a look around the garden, you know. And if everybody follows them, that will endorse that behaviour, that supports that behaviour. But if he goes out on his own and the other six stay in the doorway, he will start to feel that vacuum behind him and not have the security of the group. So they'll go back to the house. It works the opposite way, where if you've got a litter of six puppies, if five of them follow the mother and one of them is stuck sniffing something while they're busy on, they'll feel the absence of the other puppies around them and woof, they'll want to catch up as soon as possible. So there's that sense of being adventurous is good if people are going to support you when you're young, which often you'll see people with a puppy. The puppy's going to have a look at something. Now, because the person's attached to the puppy, and they don't want to pull or restrain the puppy, they'll follow the puppy. That endorses that behaviour of whatever the puppy's doing, which is nearly always, it might be chasing a leaf, looking at a frog, but what it's doing is going away from the person, and the person runs along behind. <laughs> so we end up, you know, we are the people that teach these puppies to pull or to run away from us, because we've just been well-intentioned people. You know, so handling all of this dynamics, I mean, you can you can overwhelm yourself. By just, oh, my God, if I do this, it's going to go wrong. If I do that, that's going to go wrong. And I can't do this. And I must do this. And I must do that. But there is a certain amount of common sense that's got to come in. You know, when, when we're trying to do the right thing, we can end up doing the wrong thing just because we're trying to do the right thing. Sure. What are some of the, the I mean, you mentioned being able to walk with your dogs. Um multiple dogs at once, but what are some other behaviors that, that you just really focus on? Um, you know, I, I hear so much stuff about feeding. Uh, you need to, you know, yeah, feed them yeah. separately. Um, I think, you uh, know, what do you again, do? Yeah, it depends on, the, a lot depends on what you're feeding. So, because I've fed raw food for over 25 years now, what we used to get were quite hefty bones. And because I don't like the um, gubbins off the bone all over the house, it's a garden activity. Now, if I give the bones out, they all come to me where the box is. And as I hand them the bones, they will go off down the garden. And they'll respect each other. And So they'll go off around the garden and choose their own amount of space to feel comfortable to chew the bones in, which for some of them is quite spacious. But just as equally, um, one of them, you know, he'd see the others eaten somewhere. And even though he had one, he'd want theirs. So he always had yeah. to be on his own because he was just a git for wanting everybody else's bones. Okay. You know, okay. but I've had others that would lie within inches of each other and chew comfortably. Mm-hmm. So I suppose yeah. it depends on the threat that the other dogs face. I personally don't allow bullying and I wouldn't allow, even if they're feeding out of the bowls, I don't allow crossovers. You oh, know, I don't okay. allow them to leave one bowl and go and dip into another no another. when you finish yeah. you can leave the room that's fine yeah 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 you know what they're not yeah. allowed to do is start to muscle in on another dog's food yeah 
yeah, you have to pay attention to that sort oh, of yeah, boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if the puppy's getting fed three times a day, well, that can that can often be an opening for the other dogs to muscle in and want some of what the puppy's getting. You know, so sure. with that management, the puppy just needs to be able to be fed separately and not have to gobble their food down to stop the others getting it. You know, again, yeah, they should a... be allowed to be relaxed eating, to not get indigestion, to not be stressed. You know, the uh, pleasure of a yeah. bone is to be able to lie down and not worry about what's going to happen to it. It's yours. Don't worry about it. I'll look after that. So you talked about uh, group dynamics at the garden gate, mm. uh, the delivery, the garden gate, the delivery. Any other dynamics that you really look for? Sleeping? Well, yeah, and if you're giving a treat. So um, I had something left over in the fridge the other day, and I thought, okay, they can all have one of these. You know, and I use it as an opportunity to remind everybody of everybody's name. <laughs> oh. So my name is mine, but your name is not mine. <laughs> that sounds logical. Okay. But we have yeah. to teach youngsters that they each have their own name and somebody else's me name means whatever's happening is not you. And that comes out of old, old, old sheepdog training where you want to work two dogs on sheep at the same time. Um, so in, in Wales, they'll tend to work them with different. So we'll work one in English and one in Welsh. So I might say go left in English to one dog and go left in Welsh to the other dog so that the English dog doesn't know what the Welsh words mean. But even though they don't know what the words mean, we want them to actually stand still when they hear that word. And I'd like that as a default. So if I call one dog, the other dog should stay where they are. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a cue. So if I call Flink, all the others will just stand still. So the gateway, and actually I could do it now. She is getting deaf. She needs a hand signal to come. And none of the others will move on that hand signal. So although she can't hear her name, if I say Flink and give her the hand signal, the others will stand still as I open the gate so that she will come through without the others. Uh, I remember going to see a hound kennels. I must have been about 16 or 17. And the guy used to... So the hounds, you have the, the, the females or the males in separate packs for obvious reasons. And they feed them cooked food, but they tend to cook it on site themselves. So they go to the abattoir and collect various bits and pieces. And tradition meant that a lot of the casualty carcasses were sent to the hounds. So because these often died through things they didn't know, they used to cook the meat. So it it used to smell something disgusting. They'd have this broiler house where they'd just have this massive cauldron of ugh. <laughs> and then they would tip this into a trough that was probably about 18 foot long. <laughs> One dinner okay. bowl, 18 foot long, like a trough, like a water trough. Yeah. And this would all be prepared in the feeding room. And the houndsman, the huntsman, would go to the kennel door and call in each of the dogs individually. Now, there's 50 standing out there waiting to come in. And all the hounds were called with a name beginning with B. <laughs> That's their hound group. You know, it'd be Bezig, Betha and Bridget. And I go, how did he remember 50 dogs' names? Was Wow. Yeah. And he'd call them through in order of the skinniest would come first. Yep, so they would have a bit longer on the food trench than the other dogs. And you'd have, a, you know, they're all standing at the doorway. They're about five deep. 
and he could call Beezig from the back, yes, and she'd muscle her way all the way through and come through the door. Wow! You know, so this is not new science. This is just ancient dog management that has been passed down from generation to generation. And he didn't know their names. They just knew that if he looked at them, he was talking about them. But the other dogs knew that he wasn't looking at them. He wasn't talking to them. Hmm. <laughs> so it was the look, you. Yep. And you can do the same with yeah. your dog. So, you know, you and you open the gate or you and you offer a treat. And that's the dog that will come and get the treat. So those oh, cues okay. are selecting one dog at the same time means not you and when it's a not you you just stay where you are and how do you teach that just to, i mean so probably to ask, hey, I mean, how do you teach it i know how to teach it but well i mean I, I used to teach it so that the litter of gordons i was feeding them chicken wings they're about five and a half six weeks old and they'd have just like a, a third of a digit each well you can't put down a bowl of 12 wings because Arnold would have five of them in one mouthful and the others would get nothing. So I'd stand there with the bowl and I'd start on one side and I'd pick one up and I'd give him to you. Now, if the others tried to get it, I probably just moved it out the way. Yeah, so I'd pass it to a puppy, he'd take it. Look, pass it. Look, pass it. Yep, so the numbers diminish as they go along. Um, so whoever was, you know, as you're going down the road, they would work out that, there, it's coming don't worry about it and I never put them in a situation where there was any less than the number needed and I could also sort them in the sense that the boys had the slightly larger ones than the girls and as I'm doing this I'm also reminding myself who's who because I want to remember their names so this is how they learnt their names as I'm giving them their chicken wing Arnold good Albert cool Kent yeah you know and I'd look at them and try and remember who they were pretty much like the hound group so it's they learnt that at six weeks old you know I've got photographs of them all sitting in front of me or standing in front of me waiting for their piece of food so you know if your breeder can start that off and even deliberately so you just don't put down a platter of you know mushy mince I would gather some in my hands and here is yours good and here is yours super you know so they would learn that the hand that's coming to them is theirs and if you really have got others that are going to fight their way in you need to have your other hand free to block them so you can just manage to give one dog a treat at a time which is good practice anybody that's in something like daycare or you must have this if you have groups of dogs together you've got mm -hmm. to be able to select the one dog and give a treat to them which i think is about us giving a strong focus to the one dog and you can do it with affection to start with. So um, they could all be around you and you look at one and you make a big gesture to take your hand to their chin and give them a little bit of a tickle under the chin. You know, so the dogs recognize that the forthcoming hand is going to who the owner of that hand is focused on. I would deceive them in the sense and look at the one and go, it's not yours and then fuss another dog. Because oh. No, yeah. and dogs are pretty cute at knowing focal points you know um again which comes out of cooperative hunting so if we're hunting as a group and again it comes off the sheep uh, work so i've got 30 sheep in the corner of the field and i've got a dog by the side of me and i need one of those sheep out because i need to do some husbandry on her 
As soon as I focus on her and make a dive for her, that dog will know which one I'm going for. I don't teach that. They know which one I'm going for. I mean, this must cover off cooperative hunting because if we're all trying to kill different sheep, we're not going to win. You know, if I'm going in for one, everybody's got to help me kill that one or, you know, catch that one. If five dogs all go for different sheep, well, we just wouldn't win. So that must come somewhere in that sort of innate behaviours that if I've got a strong dive for this one, I'm going to, to win on that. Yeah, interesting. Okay. I mean, that makes And you sense. probably yeah. see that to some effect with people, you know, where something like there's a heckle from an audience or a, a performer on a stage picks out one person out of the crowd and focuses on them. The rest of the crowd know it. <laughs> you know, there's something yeah. in that the, that selection of that focal point, that strong focus. Everyone's aware of it. Ah, I'm so glad to hear that it's okay to have lots of dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, many people have owned lots of dogs over the last thousands of years without having to resort to, you know, nastiness to be able to manage them. I remember um, going to Crufts, mm, again, probably in the early 70s, and there was this woman who used to show um, flat coat retrievers. And I remember following her in. And she probably had about seven or eight dogs with her and a trolley with all her bits and pieces in and a chair. And all these dogs, of course, on lead because it's in London and it's on the street. And as she's going in, all these dogs are just hanging out around her. I mean, they're knitting. The, the leads are all tied up all over the place, but they're just hanging out. None of them are pulling. Happy as Larry. And I thought, yeah, one day, one day. But yeah, those dogs yeah. individually knew how to walk with her. The leads were there as a safety. Yes. I have no doubt oh, she could have just managed them just as easily without the leads. Yeah. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Mm. So beautiful. Mm. So uh, that's, uh, can I just say what I call when all my dogs are barking at the, the delivery people and stuff? We call it a hillbilly doorbell. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I call that.